As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Harry Kane's Tottenham career is over. Well, at least for now. A four-year deal signed with Bayern Munich signalled his intent to win trophies. How did Bayern get this complex yet sensitive deal over the line? And what next for Spurs without Kane? I'm Ayo Akimwalere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Ultimately, I wanted to be playing at the highest level. I wanted to be playing in the Champions League. I wanted to be fighting for titles every year. Um, So yeah, coming to Bayern Munich... Uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world um, gives me that opportunity, so uh, I'm looking forward to that challenge. Okay, so Bayern Munich finally signed Harry Kane from Tottenham in a transfer worth more than 100 million euros. That's about 86.4 million pounds and 110 million US dollars. To take us inside the deal, we have the Athletics football correspondent David Ornstein and also Tottenham writer Charlie Eccleshare, who witnessed Spurs without Kane as they drew up Brentford yesterday. Right, let's get into it. Kane, a man with so many suitors from Spain to France and more importantly, closer to home, Manchester juggernauts as well. But he chose the kings of Germany. David, can you talk us through this (laughs) quite complex deal that happened? Where to begin? I think maybe it goes back to 2021 when Manchester City went very strongly for Harry Kane. Uh, But it never really developed to the point of getting done for one reason or another. There was a bit of a breakdown in relations between the Kane camp and Daniel Levy at Tottenham. Manchester City weren't prepared to go to where it would have taken to get this done. But the seeds were sort of sown for a potential transfer. Um, And of course, this long contract that was signed in 2018 was drawing towards a close. And fast forward to now, of course, there was major interest, like you mentioned there, Manchester United, specifically Eric Ten Hag, rather than the club as a whole, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich. Um, I'm sure loads more if he had been properly on the market. But it was only really Bayern Munich that took Harry Kane's fancy in this particular summer. That became his priority if he was to leave Tottenham, if the club's could strike a deal. And we saw offers starting at 70 million euros plus add-ons 
in June, which we revealed on The Athletic, being rejected. A couple more, some dialogue back and forth, some pretty cordial talks. But I think like any of these situations, it got a bit tense towards the end with Bayern reportedly setting a deadline for Daniel Levy. He is the last person you should do that to. He didn't react well by the looks of it because there was no reply to Bayern Munich. But then they came back again. So it wasn't really a deadline. And the crux of this IO is that really a deal needed to be done this summer. And Harry Kane could sort of sit back and say, well, you either do a deal and then I'll make my decision or you'll get to the summer of 2024 and I'll leave as a free agent. Or if things go really well in the final year of contract, then I might sign a new deal. But he was not prepared to sign a new deal this summer. He wanted this brought to a head before the start of the Premier League season. And finally, it got to the point where Bayern got to the required price. An acceptable offer. Daniel Levy accepted it. It was then up to Harry Kane if he wanted to make the move. He had, you could say, a bit of a wobble. Um, He had sort of second thoughts. He didn't know if he really wanted to go through with it so close to that first match of the season at Brentford. I'm sure there were financial discussions in and amongst it. And eventually Kane sorted his outgoing deal with Tottenham, his incoming deal with Bayern Munich. He was ready to rumble, awaiting the green light from Spurs as he was on his way to the airport, Stansted, to actually catch the flight to Bayern. Bayern said, no, don't fly because we haven't finalised everything in this situation with Tottenham it needed to be settled once and for all and I don't think it's fair to say that was Daniel Levy holding out for more money or uh, Bayern suddenly shortchanging I think there was a lot going on behind the scenes but eventually they all saw sense they all got to where they needed to be Kane boarded the private jet Daniel Levy got what he wanted I think he probably maximized the value in this instance and deserves a bit of credit for that Bayern will be delighted with their purchase and everyone will move on. Finally, Harry Kane, the saga is over. It's been settled and sorted for once and for all. And um, let's see what the future holds. Yeah, Charlie, honestly, um, as as someone who's not a Tottenham fan, watching this has been quite incredible. And I'm going back to even when Harry Kane signed the, the six-year contract. I was, many fans were like, is he not ready to go at this point? City came in. All that drama has been brilliant. And also to built up to this point as well. And I'm just trying to think in my head how frustrating it must be for Harry Kane after this incredible debacle to be sitting at an airport still not quite knowing whether or not he signed for Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean, it was frustrating enough for those of us, like David and I, reporting on this because it did seem to just go on and on. And just when you thought, Okay, because you went so many ways with this one. You know, I was sceptical at the start of the summer whether Bayern would actually do what City weren't able to do. Then it looked like, okay, no, it is happening. But then it was, as David mentioned, Kane's maybe having a bit of a wobble. Maybe he'll stay after all. No, okay, he's going. Oh, no, actually, he's still not going. It was just like, I mean, yeah, having heart palpitations. And this piece (laughs) that we wrote that, you know, has been in the works for some time because... As David mentioned, the first bid was in June. So, you know, it really has gone on and on. I, I, I just think, you know, that 2021 prism is so important. And I kept viewing this through that. You know, what I kept asking myself is, OK, but is this any different from two years ago when City mm. just didn't do enough, really? Um, and, you know, so buy and make the first bid. OK, well, City... They made a bid back then. So you're thinking, okay, they still haven't done more. Then when they came back, you're already thinking, right, they're actually doing more than City did then. Because City never 
really push the boat out sufficiently. And it's striking to think, you know, that the fee that they've got two years on is more than they were ever offered. And for a player in his last year of his contract, um, and they got two more years out of Kane. So it, just looking at that, and I know a lot of fans will say that stuff's irrelevant. And also, if we'd only signed him to a new contract since 2018, then we wouldn't have been in this position anyway. But given the position they then found themselves in, um, you know, I think they did, they got a lot out of Bayern Munich. But the, the main thing for me, something that really stuck out whilst writing this piece was looking back at that interview that Harry Kane did with Gary Neville in 2021. And something he said then was... Ultimately, it's going to be down to me and how I feel and, and what's going to be the best for me in, in, in my career at this moment in time. Two years ago, that just wasn't actually true. It wasn't down to him because he had three years left on his contract. But fast forward to now, and he did hold the power because Bayern and Spurs both faced a really awful scenario. Bayern faced the prospect of we've wasted our whole summer going after someone and how publicly embarrassing that would be. Spurs faced the doomsday scenario of losing him for nothing next year. For Kane, it was either I go now or I go in a year when I'll get more money and I have my pick of the clubs and I might get a fun year with Postacoglu. So there wasn't really a terrible outcome for him this summer. And ultimately, him him having that power, I think, made a massive difference in the reasons why this deal happened, whereas it didn't two years ago. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand and from what we've read in The Athletic is that he had a really good relationship with, with, with the coach. His wife's heavily pregnant. And there was a bit of me that was like, do you know what? He might do a swindle on Daniel Levy. He might actually, <laughs> think about it. He might actually go, do you know what? I was supposed to go before, wasn't going to happen. Actually, I'm going to go for free, set my own terms and actually, cheers, Levy, but you're not going to make any money. Was there a real possibility of this happening genuinely? I think that things got pretty tense towards the end and that's kind of understandable in in these situations. You've got to look at this with the whole wider context and perspective that, that Charlie explains. So in 2021, I think it was... Almost like over my dead body was Daniel Levy's views. This is Harry Kane, my leading striker. I've got him under contract for quite a few more years. And it's going to take top dollar for me to even consider it. And I don't want to sell him to a rival, let alone the mighty Manchester City, who are just going to hurtle away into the distance. But fast forward to now, and suddenly Harry Kane is in a a much stronger position The Bayern preference was there. There was an exciting project that was put in front of him. I think it was quite well documented that his wife had been over to Munich. They were going to roll out the red carpet, make him their big signing. So much so that in this summer, he did not want to join Paris Saint-Germain, despite them talking to Tottenham and expressing some interest. He did not really have an opportunity to join Real Madrid. And Manchester United never really got off the ground. And so your... You're forecasting the future. Do I wait for the summer of 2024 and then have my pick of clubs, but free agents at the age of 31, you're one injury away from everything falling apart. And so that would have been a factor as well. And so I think there was a period where the Bayern move was probably really appealing, really exciting. But then as the negotiations wore on and bids got rejected and the season drew closer, and Ayo, your point about liking Ange Postacoglu and feeling good with his friend and international teammate James Madison now in the club, you're at the Premier League, you could stay and beat Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record, all of those things that everybody has talked about. I think some of the spark may have gone. It became a 
bit of a laborious saga for everybody. And so I think that's why it got to this point. It was not saying now or never, but the jeopardy for everyone of that final year. Whatever Kane may have said about, I'll consider a new contract if it goes well. Well, how well? What what quantifies well? Reaching the Champions League, winning a trophy, challenging for a trophy. And the Tottenham board are just sitting there saying he could walk away very conceivably for free Mm. and we earn nothing. So Tottenham are, whether you like it or not, now in a position where they have spent heavily on the likes of Kulisevsky permanently, Vicario, Mickey van der Ven, Ashley Phillips, um, the young Argentine striker. James Madison, Manor Solomon, I know the, the, the fee or finances are in dispute on that one. They have preempted the departure of Harry Kane. They may do some more business, although I'm not expecting it to be major, significant, big name incomings mm. now for the rest of the window. And then they may have some money to do something in January or something in the summer, and they're trying to look after their financial future. Well, and also imagine imagine for Ange that every press conference for the next year or however long, just questions of what's happening with Harry Kane, and you know he's trying he'd he'd, ha- he'd basically have to do a rebuild this summer and then another one a year down the line, and mm. it, I, I think it would not have been in the club's best interest. And to Charlie's point, Ange Postecoglou's pressure will have ratcheted up to deliver Champions League football. And maybe a trophy. Mm, yeah, you've got to save. You've other. got to keep Kane here, and and you can't. It, it, one final push means let's go and do something. And without Harry Kane, whether people support the decision or not, Ange Postecoglou does have an opportunity, probably at Spurs for the first time since the early Pochettino days, to try and structure something organically with a little bit less expectation than there would be if Harry Kane had stayed. Hi everybody, I'm Danny Kelly, host of the Athletic's dedicated Spurs podcast, The View from the Lane. Join me, Charlie Eccleshare, James Moore, Tim Spears and Jack Pitbrook for what promises to be yet another rollercoaster season in N17. Will Ange Postecoglou bring back attacking football to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Every Monday and Thursday we'll bring you top analysis from the best journalists in the game, as well as razor-sharp insight, it says here, and of course, all the usual View from the Lane gaffes and gags. Come on, you Spurs. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. 
Now it's time for Harry Kane. Come here, guys. Now let's talk about the Germans. We've got Seb Stafford Bloor, who's joining us from Germany, having been at Harry Kane's Bind debut and his first press conference. Seb, welcome to to this big debate. So much to talk about here. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. But let let's go uh, from the German perspective. You know, you've been at the Allianz Arena this weekend for the German Super Cup and Harry Kane's first official press conference as a Bayern player. For Bayern Munich, just how big is this deal? Because, look, it smashed the German record. It smashed the club record. They needed this man and they finally got him. Well, it's very big on a series of levels. I think fundamentally, obviously, for the last year, Bayern have been searching for a successor to Robert Lewandowski uh, and a way back towards being truly competitive in the Champions League. Culturally, it's been really interesting. I was in Munich as the deal was completed and after it was signed. I was really surprised by how quickly the Bayern Munich fans took to, to Harry Kane. I mean, the the deal was completed local time just after about 10 o'clock, just after the, the local club shops had opened. And it was amazing how quickly Kane's name and number started flooding the streets of Munich. I think by the time I actually entered the stadium, which was um, just, just before about 8 o'clock, one in every three shirts that was named and numbered was Harry Kane's. It was absolutely extraordinary. And I, I, I was looking through some of the statistics that have been um, made available today and uh, being reported in the German media. Uh, and apparently they sold 10,000 shirts just on the Saturday. Um, and collectively, they believe, and this is an estimate at the moment, uh, so that's the caveat, but they believe that this was the... Um, the biggest day for collective merchandise sales in Bayern Munich's history, which is not all tied to Kane, but I think in the abstract, you can certainly tie it to the enthusiasm, obviously yeah, new beginnings, new season, all the natural excitement that comes with comes with a new campaign beginning. A couple of the Bayern kits are really lovely this year, especially one of the, um, they've got a cream one, which is- Yeah, it's um, really nice, that one. Isn't yeah, it? really, really nice. If I, if I wasn't so sort of personally wounded by this episode, then uh, <laughs> that might be my wardrobe now. Uh, but- I think it's too early to tell like what the significance of it is. What I will say is the scale of the excitement is much greater than I expected it to be. Um, there really is a lot of, I think part of it is to do with also reversing a trend. We used to obviously um, players of Kane's caliber and scale moving to the Premier League or uh, the flow of talent away from the, from the Bundesliga over recent years has been very substantial. And so it's a celebration of that, really, as much as it is whatever it will sort of, however it will impact on Bayern Munich's first eleven. Yeah, Charlie, this is really interesting, and I want to pick up on um, what Seb just said. There's been this sort of, I don't know if, if it's amongst you guys, but like especially as football fans, that Harry Kane probably doesn't hold the same sort of, you know, va-va-voom as a Vicinius Junior or something like that going to to, to another club, right? Um, I mean, this proves that there's a real fan base for Harry Kane, like. People want to invest in this guy outside of Tottenham. This is insane. It is. It is really interesting. This, um, I don't know, the, the kind of juxtaposition of FC Hollywood, you know, or whatever. You know, the Bayern Munich are this sort of super sexy club, and Harry Kane is not. He's not a natural superstar. You know, we we know that he likes just get on and play his football. So how he will. Uh, kind of deal with that and I suppose as well how much that continues and and ratchets up you know his relationship with the Spurs fans was so different you know because the whole one of their own and all of this thing whether you know this initial enthusiasm 
you know, whether there'll be more expectations, Seb will know a lot more than this with me. You know, will he be, will it matter that he is naturally a fairly reserved person? You know, obviously right now, a new signing is such a huge deal. Everyone's so excited by that. Will Bayern fans care that, you know, he's not the most charismatic? You know, obviously Spurs fans never did because he had the whole local hero uh, angle anyway. But I think that that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, Charlie. I think the Kane is not a natural celebrity. He's not a superstar. He is clearly at his most comfortable with his family, um, living a private life or on the football pitch. What I will say is that he came across extremely well in his press conference. It was quite an awkward conversation uh, situation just because we had with German and English media in the same room. Uh, Harry Kane was hearing translations of German questions in real time and then answering in English. I thought he dealt with being in the middle of that spectacle really well he was actually quite charismatic he made people laugh he looked he actually looked very relieved and it's easy to forget of course that he this is the first transfer of his career barring obviously the low moves when he was a youngster and so while he's used to being the center of attention in north london being the center of attention in, in a more global sense in a hundred million euro sense is a, is a very different situation the personality aspect is will it it will reveal itself in time historically the most popular players at Bayern Munich have been Bavarian, and that's kind of true now. Saving that, there's a there's a, a great deal of affection for gregarious characters. I think of someone like Frank Ribéry, who you know is a, is a very outgoing personality, and the Bavarian personality is by nature quite outgoing and friendly and welcoming, and 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 not reserved in the way that Kane is. But then this is modern football, isn't it? There's a sort of a the global aspect where the true commodity is quality or the currency is goals. And I think that's what will end up mattering for Kane. But I have to say, it's it's interesting to note that if there were a honeymoon period for this, it seemed to expire by the end of the day. There was always already a, a snarky headline on the front of Bilt by the end of the Super Cup. Uh, this morning, I read that Lothar Mateus is already criticizing Thomas Tuchel for starting Kane in the uh, in the Super Cup itself, he said, oh, he should have just been presented and he should have sat him down next to Uli Hernes, which has been an interesting conversation. But these are difficult things. And it's worth remembering that I don't necessarily think it's it's Kane's personality that's a problem. It's the fact that he's an outsider and that this is not a this is not a road well travelled. He is the third English player to play for Bayern Munich in their history. And we can have the argument about Owen Hargreaves being an English player we like. And, you know, Omar Richards is not a very high profile player. So this is uncharted territory and there's going to have to be a little bit of getting used to each other. Um, for what it's worth, Kane, Kane and his family seemed very happy. He, he described the welcome he received as being magical. Seems to uh, the rest of his extended family, his, um, his wife's family are out there with him, as well as his own mother and father and his, kill, his children, of course. Um, he described it as being magical. So he's obviously been made to feel very at home, but there is a little bit of a, a cultural adjustment that will have to take place. I just wanted to pick up on that because, I mean, on the one hand, I feel there's been a little bit of disrespect towards Bayern Munich in this. Like, not our conversation, the, the wider transfer and the reaction to it. This is the mighty Bayern Munich. Like... Multiple Champions League winners, uh, obviously runaway German champions, uh, many years. Um, the prestige, the the everything it carries, the fan base. Like this is a huge move, and Thomas Tuchel has been repeating it. The England captain has been extracted from the Premier League by Bayern Munich to the Bundesliga. However, on the flip side, I don't know if it's just a, 
an easy point to make, Seb, but and and I don't want to read too much into the Super Cup, but is there any risk that he comes to Bayern in a period of transition? Obviously, there was the Mane signing that didn't work out and um, the team has changed quite dramatically. They don't strike you immediately as being one of the foremost uh, competitors for the Champions League title right now. Maybe that will change during the course of Kane's four-year contract. But clearly, he wouldn't want this to be um, a period where where Bayern are kind of rebuilding. You kind of make this move to win now. Can I? Can I? T- yeah, I'll take you on that because I think it's really interesting. Can we flip that on its head as well, Seb, and say? Bayern Munich need to get back into Champions League contention. They need to do something outlandish that they've never done before in order to reshape a new Bayern Munich moving forward. Yeah, I think you both make really, really salient points. Um, clearly, Kane has not joined Bayern at the during one of their kind of invulnerable phases. Um, and you're right, I own that. They've, they've, they've gone down this route, which is unprecedented because they were searching for something very specific. I always felt like one of the problems last season wasn't necessarily the lack of, a lack of goals that resulted in Lewandowski leaving, Manny joining. Cause actually, if you look at their goals for tally, it's not so bad. It's really does compare pretty well to the previous season. The problem was, is the fluidity of that system left them exposed in transition. There are all sorts of vulnerabilities that they developed as a result of not having that clear, defined reference point at the top of their formation. And so Kane is coming in as the England captain, as Harry Kane, as, as all the, um, with all the kind of the glamour associated with his reputation in the game. But he also comes in to, to provide a really useful tactical definition to Bayern. Um, the other thing is that it's almost a harbinger of what might be to come. So we, we've talked a, lot, a little bit about expectation, talked a little bit about how, how high the standards are during the Super Cup, which, like our very own Community Shield, is really just a friendly, it's a curtain raiser. And Bayern were pretty terrible and they, they exhibited a lot of the, the issues that they showed last season, which allowed Borussia Dortmund to run them so close and made them, well, prevented them from running deep into the Champions League. By about the 60th minute, before Kane had even come on, Josu Kimmich was being whistled by his own fans and he was jeered when he got taken off because he there's a sort of an ongoing dialogue and it's been running through the summer about whether he's a true number six. Tuchel says no, Kimmich says yes. Who wins that argument? I don't know, but it's leaked onto the pitch and Kimmich is clearly feeling an element of pressure to, uh, I suppose, play play the number six role in capital letters, if that makes sense, really prove a point. But it goes to show that Josu Kimmich is a wonderful, wonderful player. He's done brilliant things for Bayern Munich and has allowed them to achieve the absolute most in European football. And yet it's a very, it's the right way of putting this. It's a, it's a club where time passes very, very quickly. And what you did yesterday doesn't matter for very long. There's actually a very, very good piece by our colleague Rafa Honigstein that was written in the aftermath of Lewandowski's transfer um, when he left Bayern Munich. He talked about why Bayern never really, Bayern fans never really gravitated towards him and never really felt the affection for him as a person. And that's something worth reading, but also bearing in mind as time goes on, because you are not going to win this crowd and you're not going to win hearts and minds by raw statistics alone. And that's a, that's a tricky business. And especially so, and I completely agree with David David's point, this is not the easiest moment in Bayern's history and it's been made a lot harder because all of a sudden you've got this massive investment and this gleaming symbol of what you're willing to do to correct it. So it's a tricky time to join them. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Stepping in. Well, let's let's talk about Tottenham uh, without Harry Kane. Uh, Charlie, I know you were at the game uh, yesterday at Brentford. The how can we put this? The Postecoglou era of Tottenham. Um, and actually, I think this is a very interesting time for Tottenham Hotspur, who are shaking off the ghost of Harry Kane, um, perhaps allowing certain other players to play with a bit more freedom, but also not being so reliant on his incredible abilities. Did we get a glimpse of what we can expect from Spurs this season? We did. I mean, certainly the first half was everything I think people were expecting from the early Postacoglu era certainly uh you know really fun attacking looked pretty shaky defensively in moments the second half was then a little bit more prosaic um but yeah I think there was a lot to excite the fans who are just desperate for some fun enjoyable football to watch after what's been a pretty difficult few years and yeah it it did feel very different and fresh and at this point that is really really important and Results matter, but so do the performances and just feeling that this is a team that they like and they want to get behind. And I mean, you know, on just the Kane point, clearly it's going to take a little bit of time for this attack to click. And I think both wingers found it hard going at times. And Richarlison had a couple of chances that, you know, of you can't help but think, oh, well, you know, if that was Harry Kane. Um, but James Madison did brilliantly in that. In, in the role actually that Kane often played, you know, a bit deeper, um, threading passes through, he looked really good. And I think so, and Postacoglu referenced this in his press conference on Friday, but I think a lot of the burden that was carried by Kane will now fall on to Madison. You know, he's got to be the creative hub, but he's also got a way in with a lot of goals. Um, but we know he can do that. You know, he's a guy who can get double figures for goals and assists in a Premier League season. And I think he'll need to do something like that because they've got to make up for that deficit somewhere. And this is Kane's a guy, he got 30 goals in the Premier League last season for a team that came eighth. Um, so it's going to be a big ask, but that is the plan. It's going to be more spread around. It's not going to fall on one guy. He got more than 40% of Tottenham's Premier League goals last season. No one had a higher proportion for any team in the league. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was interesting. And I, I think, you know, Seb can probably say as a Spurs fan, it was just quite enjoyable again you know it was fun you 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 cared about the team and that's just really not always been the case of late it's the first time i've enjoyed a tottenham game for a really long time sorry to butt yeah. in there, but it's uh i remember watching it and thinking and this is probably a mark of how far my expectation has fallen i thought oh passing isn't that interesting ideas attacking shots and it was 
it was very refreshing. I think, I think at the moment it might be time to kind of dwell on the micro issues at Spurs and enjoy those and enjoy the improvements rather than to kind of get to, too caught up in the macro aspects of club life, which are, and presumably will continue to be quite frustrating, but it was, I was greatly heartened by what I saw also by some of the individual performances and some of the, all of the Davidsons actually, I thought the adjustment was almost immediate and there clearly are a few few issues to, to knock out and to refine and, you know, some confidence and some understandings to develop uh, over the coming months and, and years, but just lit something in me, I think. Just thought, oh, I, I want to watch this team. I can't wait for the next game. And, and sadly to say, I haven't thought about the Spurs like that for a couple of years now, at least. Yeah, for sure. David, on... On the transfer and also the money, well, 100 million euros, 86.4 million uh, pounds. It feels like, as you said, Spurs have already started spending that money. Any lessons to be learned from a lot of the money they made from the Gareth Bale deal, but did particularly buy that well? It's a fair point to make, and, and many will. The conjecture over their recruitment post-Bale Um will go on. I mean, it is a difficult debate because some people say Daniel Levy is too involved and so he passes responsibility onto recruitment people and sporting directors to lead the way and then everybody complains about their recruitment work and so Daniel Levy gets more involved again and it's like a no-win situation. Like Criticism is fair, but it's a little bit more complex maybe than people think. And so the complexity was heightened further this summer because Fabio Paratici, who was in charge of Tottenham's recruitment, um, obviously uh, had to leave his role or step aside from it amid a, a FIFA ban. And then I think one of the recruitment people there was Greta Steinson and he moved or he left and now he's moved to Leeds United. Um, there are some remaining people there. So that was not ideal for trying to do some good recruitment um, in anticipation of a possible Kane departure. Um, the work that they've done, to my eyes, looks pretty impressive. Um, it will play out on the pitch. We'll see. I mean, the recruits are maybe not the level that you would see of players coming into Manchester City, for example, but Tottenham are not at Manchester City's level right now. And you could argue for the first time in a while, they are knowing their place and not trying to like spend obscene money to do what people are telling them they should do and who they should compete with. They're actually doing things that are right for their level. And, and I think they have upgraded across the squad. And so... I think some mistakes have been learned, some perceived mistakes have been learned from because they've done a lot of work, uh, quite low profile and un under the radar to an extent. It it's not like um, there's been like huge chatter around it, like we've seen at, at certain other clubs, Chelsea, for example. They've gone about their business. They've backed Ange Postacoglu. Um, he has a good squad. I guess there's just that question of, whether the goals can be compensated. But really now, as Brazil's number nine, Richarlison needs to step up. Son takes on more responsibility as captain and we know what he can do. Um, Manuel Solomon has shown enough at Fulham last season to make you think he's going to be a threat. Um, James Madison pulling the strings in a, a creative way. Perhaps some more will come in. You know, there have been reports linking them to the likes of Brennan Johnson and others. I don't know exactly what they'll be able to do going forward. But I think that 
some of those lessons have been learned and um, some credit is due. However, none of this matters until we see whether they perform, hit their straps, some early encouraging signs at Brentford. But it's going to be a tough season ahead for Tottenham and Ange Postacoglu. And of course, there will be scrutiny, as there always is, on Daniel Levy. And he's at the top of this project. It was his decision to sell Harry Kane. And now let's see if the squad that he is helping assemble with a difficult football structure there, for the aforementioned reasons, actually delivers. Yeah, Seb, Daniel Levy, I mean... David mentioned it there sort of at the top of all of this and it's fair to say coming into this last season especially the relationship with Spurs fans probably wasn't the greatest understandably so he's made a very he's made a lot of very poor decisions and whilst I think one of the one of the conversations around the Kane sale has been the necessity of selling him because of his contractual situation I think a counter argument to that and a decent one is that um Daniel Levy and some of the other decision makers at Spurs have been architects of the circumstances which compelled Harry Kane to want to leave in the first place. I don't think you can separate one from the other. And yeah, I, I what was interesting, and maybe this isn't reasonable of me, um, well, two, two different things really, is when we talk about the need to bring money in at Tottenham, it seems odd to me because obviously the Premier League's broadcasting contract is astronomically uh, valuable. Also, the new stadium brings in a huge amount of match day revenue. Um, sale of Harry Kane has brought in another chunk. It seems almost to me as if, well, I, I just don't really understand. I don't really understand that financial argument. I mean, that you probably need a smarter mind than me to rationalise it. But it, it just seems odd that it's always a kind of well, we need to sell this player so that we can regenerate the squad and then go again and. And then that's the cycle that will repeat. I don't know if Charlie felt the same, but I, I watched yesterday's match just before I left Munich and finished watching and felt really heartened. I, I felt I was delighted for Ange Postacoglu and some of the new players. I thought they were great. And I was really, really happy for some of the fans that went to Brentford. That That's a kind of performance that they've deserved for a really long time now. Um, but then I thought, well, what happens next? Because, okay, so we're, we're building a new project and this is kind of step one. And that's, that's really exciting and I can't wait. But then... Well, Destiny Dogi looks really good, doesn't he? And and what happens in eighteen months when someone's interested in him? Are we are we having the same conversation? Are we saying, well, we need to sell him because then we need to buy new players to go again? And it's not really what was promised. With the greatest respect to to Daniel Levy, I mean the the new stadium was presented as a game changer. A lot of fans quote that back in the aftermath of the, of the Kane sale, and I think it's a very fair argument. And so there's a, a fraying of the relationship, and it. It's going to take a lot of time to to repair that, and and I don't. In the days after a sale like this, it's it's probably not the best time to speak rationally about the relationship between the fans and the ownership. But um, I don't think it's. I don't think we should underestimate just how long it's going to take for fans, for some fans, to develop or to redevelop trust in the ownership and to um, not expect the club's biggest assets to be sold. Because who hasn't been sold? You know, Berbatov was sold, Bale was sold, Carrick was sold, Modric was sold, Kane was sold. Everyone has their price at Tottenham. And, and so that is always going to temper your your excitement about what's about to happen, even at the beginning of a project like this. So it's difficult. I'm, as I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm trying to focus on what happens at the, on, the, on the pitch at the moment. Because I think um, over the past couple of years, the, the volume of chatter and the tone of conversation around the ownership has been, has been very draining. 
Um, and so it's really nice to get back to the football, but it, it's concerning and uh, not unreasonably so. Yeah, I just want to sympathetically speak about this before we finish the pod, because, you know, obviously Tottenham have sold a lot of their, their greatest assets, but can we also flip it on its head and say, look, you know, would their greatest assets have stayed if they have won the Champions League, if they'd won the Premier League, if they'd won the Carabao Cup or an FA Cup? And in fairness to, you know, the new manager, Postacoglu, if you do manage this new Spurs and you manage, let's say, to to, to win a League Cup, for instance, this season, then here we go. Levy might have been right. He might have made a decent decision. I I, I want to agree with you. I, I just, I, I can't, um, I can't detach my mind from 2008 when Spurs won the League Cup and then sold Berbatov and Keane in the off-season. It, it just, that's where my mind, I, I just, I want to believe otherwise, but it just needs to be proven to me. That's probably where I am as a, a Spurs fan. I, I think also I always, and Charlie probably agree with me. I, I think it probably is best to 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 be short sighted for now. One thing I would say, you know, some Spurs fans might bristle at the comparison, but Arsenal is an easy one to make right now because they were in an awful position when Mikel Arteta took over, and not just with where they were on the pitch, but the whole toxicity. It was terrible, and that's similar to where Spurs is now. You know, the back end of last season. Um, you know, it, it was really toxic. And the thing is, if you have a manager who the players believe in, it does make a really big difference. Um, you know, you might ha- it might be that then you have pl- and a whole structure and a system you believe in. And obviously those are really hard things to get right. But I guess the hope is that if Postacoglu is the right guy, then some of these players do buy into it. They want to play for him and they don't want to leave so much um, at the end of that cycle be that two years be that three years that's the hope but you have to get so many things right I guess to to convince the players that they can achieve everything they want to achieve at Spurs well I tell you what it's choose to Harry Kane and welcoming to Postacoglu cheers gents for your wonderful chat today David Charlie and Seb really appreciate your opinions on this and for the most thorough and conclusive writing on Harry Kane's move from Tottenham to Bayern Munich head over to The Athletic you can sign up today for just one ninety nine a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod thank you so much for listening you've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast the producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an athletic media company production. The Athletic. <laughs>